seven turkeys given away and turkey meals given away last week. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was so I was so thankful and so flowery last week about how the Tulsa Hills Target was helping us out. And um, we discovered last Sunday afternoon after church that they had actually accidentally put all of our turkeys on the floor and sold all of our turkeys to other people, <laughs> which kind of threw... Uh, Pastor Karen over there, wave your hand. Everybody knows she directs our, our Compassion Ministries and kind of threw it. They were, they were off on their um, wedding anniversary celebration trip when she discovered she needed to get home and find turkeys. So we bought some Arkansas turkeys, and we, they, just sort of, they just started buying turkeys on the way home. Isn't that hilarious? And it was like, we have to go now, and we have to buy turkeys. But, but uh, thankfully, uh, a couple of Walmarts helped us out tremendously, and a Walmart neighborhood market over in Jinx on Peoria Elm and 111th, they were so gracious to us, they let us empty their turkey freezer twice on, on Sunday night and on Monday morning, and they gave them to us for a better price than Target was giving them at 68 cents a pound, and we were able to serve all those families, and it just worked out. It just worked out. It worked out because that's the way God does things. Now, we move into the Christmas season. Last week, we fed their family. Um, The next few weeks, we want to give toys to the children that come, and that's what those stockings are about. And this is a huge part. We end every year here at Triumph just giving, giving, giving to our community. And I don't think that there is anything on the face of the planet that... that, um, that touches the heart of God than for a people like us to get together, pool our resources, and give back to people in need. And so the, these stockings, we, we hear every year, we hear stories that that is the only Christmas those children will have. Matter of fact, they will come in and hide the stockings from them so that they can put the stockings out under the tree later and, and, and do all of that surprise gift stuff that we call Santa Claus. And so, um, and so you have the opportunity to be Santa Claus. Come on, somebody. And, uh, and, and that's, just, that's, that's just awesome. And it's just, if, if I just ruined Santa Claus for somebody, I'm sorry anyway. Um, but but you, have, you have the opportunity to bless a child. And so uh, those stockings are available out there. We're going to have them available um, uh, for the next couple of weeks. We, we usually, how many stockings did we give out last year? Do we even keep count of that? I mean, it's a bunch. Yeah, 175 to 200 stockings out um, on, uh, during this time. So we do about the same with, you know, with the as we do with the turkeys, and uh, that's just that's just important. Today is uh, a really interesting Sunday dynamic for me, especially. Uh, normally, I like to keep things kind of wrapped in a nice little series. We do these series through the years. People have asked at time why why does it seem to be a growing trend? Uh, for churches to do series. And I think the best explanation for that is, is it really helps us unpack certain scriptural themes through the year that um, keep you on track. I mean, a, a preacher, I know for me, um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm one of them, and um, it's very easy for us in the ministry to just kind of preach the things we like to preach. There are certain passages of Scripture that I just really like. And if I'm not careful, I'll, I'll preach on that every time. Because they, we used to call it like this, Opie's on his candy stick, right? That's, that's it right there. That's the candy stick verse or whatever. And I have some of those. And I know, I know that I have to be careful 
that I don't just get so uh, tunnel vision on those particular subjects that, that we don't really unpack um, more subjects and more helpful subjects in the Word of God. And so when I do series or when we collaborate, Pastor Trent and I do series, we, we kind of think in, in these terms is something I believe the Lord laid on my heart is that sometimes our series are very practical. It's called practical theology, just the practice of, of living it out. And, and um, you know, just give people great advice or, or, or scriptural advice from the world on how to, how to live your life to the fullest and all of that. And that's kind of a practical thing. And then there are times where we do biblical series where we just kind of look at a scripture and say, this is what the scripture says, this is what it means, and this kind of unpack a, a particular passage or, or a biblical theme. And then, and then there are times that we do theological. Theological is the study of God, um, theology, uh, theological themes are a lot of times, what does it mean to me in the real sense? And so that's, that's where we sort of look at our series and kind of get a good mix of how we're presenting those three uh, basic ingredients of, of, of teaching people. And series helps us do that in a, in a, in a fantastic way. Now, now here's the deal, that there are Sundays in the year, and this is the interesting dynamic, there are Sundays in the year that, that end up kind of being standalone. Like, we ended our Thanksgiving series last week. And I could have, I could have, you know, come up with another sermon for that. But after last Sunday, especially going into last Sunday, I realized that, you know, sometimes that just, I felt like for this time on our Thanksgiving series, I sort of just did, I hit the best ball in the park that I could possibly hit last Sunday. And it would just be anticlimactic to try to, to try to do anything else. But then we have this thing about Christmas. Our Christmas series already planned to start next week, so guess what today is? It's, it's, it's an in-between, right? It's like in-between two series, and those are called standalone sermons, and that's kind of where I'm at. And so in prayer, now this is the funny thing. Um, Pastor Trent and I, we were kind of talking, talking back and forth, collaborating on our Christmas um, thoughts, and knowing that today was going to be a standalone because I had already decided in my heart that I wouldn't try to make a, a tagline onto the Thanksgiving um, series. Um, I'm in here praying about that. And I'm just sort of walking in the room, praying, thinking about, um, you know, what, what would be a good word? What would God have to say to us uh, from his word uh, in a theological sense? And, and I heard this question. Now, I've never heard the, the voice of God like audibly. I mean, some people have, and I, it's not that I don't believe in it, but God doesn't speak to me like in, hey, Rob, how you doing? I mean, I would probably like pass out or something weird, and it had to come, you know, like, like it would probably just like scare me like that. So, so, but the Lord does impress my heart, all right? I get these impressions, and I having done this now for over 30 years, I know what that feels like and I know, I know in my spirit what that sounds like when I hear the voice of the Lord speaking inside my spirit. I just know it. It's a distinctive thing that um, it's, it's really kind of hard to explain, but it's an impression that I just, that was the voice of the Lord speaking to me. And sometimes that, that, that comes to me in a question form and and that's the way it happened this time. I'm, I'm in here praying, and um, I, I heard this question 
and I think that this question is good for all of us, it's simply this, what do you do with life in between? What do you do with life in between? And in and, and thinking about that, you know, to me it's like, what, what do you do when you're living between promise and provision? Or maybe another way to say it is, is, is what do you do between the question <laughs> and the answer? That, that really, that it could be terrible point, that very confusing point between, how about I say it like this, what, what do you do when you are living in between faith and fulfillment? Like that, that place right there where you really do have to hold on to faith. Matter of, fact, matter of fact, the very definition of faith from the Word of God is that faith is the substance. So faith is this substance of things hoped for. Like, I'm hoping for this, but I'm not there yet. I'm back here where I've heard a promise I have asked a question. I'm standing in faith and I'm, I'm hoping for that. And so my, my faith becomes the very substance of that which I hope for. Then it says this, that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Like when I don't see this, I hold on to my faith here in this, in this in-between moment between what I what I have felt and what I have heard and what I have believed, but I'm living in between. And that can be, that can be a very difficult spot that I really would like to take us to a, a short passage of Scripture, but I think it really speaks volumes, especially in a theological sense, it speaks volumes to, to, to what I'm trying to say today. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 says this, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they all got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep, talking of Jesus. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Now, if you've ever ever been to Israel, I've been to Israel, so I have have a... um, a working knowledge of what I'm about to say, but, but maybe you haven't, but you, maybe you've seen a documentary, or perhaps you've looked at, you know, we used to carry paper Bibles, right? A lot of people still do, and in the back they'd have maps, and you could open the map, you kind of look at Israel and ponder about the Holy Land and maybe where Paul traveled or where Jesus walked. And, and you might have noticed that up north uh, west-ish of, of um, east Israel, northeast of, of Jerusalem, is this, is this place that... Uh, a couple of names given to this body of water in Scripture. It's, it's the Sea of Galilee. It's the Sea of Galilee, or it's, at other times they call it the Lake of Gennesaret. It's the same body of water, just depending on uh, you know, where you come from, which, which, what they called it. But 
but you would recognize when you look at this that it's not, it's not really a large body of water. Like It's not like the Gulf of Mexico or, 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 or one of the Great Lakes where you kind of stand on the shore and all you see is water. Matter of fact, you can stand on any shore of this lake. I've done it. You can stand on any shore of this lake and, and you can see the other shorelines. But it's not, it's not a huge body of water, but, but it's a significant body of water. This this lake is from where the uh, Jordan River flows from. And, and uh, it's a very fertile place. Like just 30 minutes south of here, you start getting into the desert lands. And just about an, less than an hour or so from here, you run into a place called the Dead Sea. And you, you kind of go from the Sea of Galilee, this Lake of Gennesaret. You go, you go from this very fertile, very alive, filled with fish, filled with life, uh, green everywhere, uh, you kind of go from that to, um, to this very desolate place. And this is a very important region for the, for the nation of Israel and has been, has been. Matter of fact, this lake to this day serves as one of the major water sources for most of the country. This lake is nestled, if you wouldn't mind me saying it that way, it's nestled in between a, a mountain range and, and, and is surrounded by hills and on, on, on the west side of, of this lake is the hills and, and, the, and most, of the, most of the towns, like Capernaum and those towns that you read about where Jesus traveled. And so they're over, they're over there among the hillside. And in these hills, there is the hills where Jesus sat on the hillside and taught in the Beatitudes. And most of his ministry took place over there um, on the east or, or the west side of, of, this, of this body of water. Now, to the north, you have the mountains, and these mountains flow around these kind of foothills of those mountains. The mountains flow around this way. And on the east side of this lake, as it were, like even on this platform right now, if you can imagine with me, is this cliff region. These mountains come around like this, and there's this cliff region that literally just, they, they just fall straight off. And, um, and this is where Jesus was telling us, let's go over there. So they're over here. They're on the west bank of this, of this lake. And he's saying, let's go over there to the other side where it's very uh, rocky and these sheer cliff faces. And if, you, if you've heard anyone in the last few years talk about the Golan Heights, the Golan Heights, the Golan Heights, this is them. This side of the lake is the Golan Heights. And if you go there, you will realize why Israel has been so adamant about not giving the Golan Heights back to the Syrians because, because Syria set up uh, tank guns. They set up guns in these turrets and they set them up along this Golan height and literally you can sit up there and, and just uh, send shells down and you can just like cherry pick whatever you want to cherry pick in one of the most fertile regions of the nation of Israel. You can just cherry pick like let's take the McDonald's out today and you just point the gun and take them out. Take them out just that easy. That's why it's so it's so adamant that that Israel has refused to give the Golan Heights back because this is such an important it's such an important overlook of this entire valley with this beautiful Sea of Galilee, this beautiful Lake Gennesaret nestled down there, and we had the opportunity to go up there. When I went to Israel, everyone else there were four tour buses and. We had been seeing a lot of Roman ruins, and there were, there were a lot of Roman ruins there. And, and but we got on our bus that day, and our, our team leader was sort of rogue. He had been there 
28 times. And so he was kind of tired of seeing Roman ruins. And he was like, how many on the bus day is tired of seeing Roman ruins? And I mean, we kind of, he said, okay, let me, let me say it like this. How many of you would like to see something other than Roman ruins? And so we were all like, and he went, how many of you like to go on the Golan Heights? And every one of us put our hand up. There weren't any American buses. It was very controversial time when there weren't any American buses going up there. And he looked over at the bus driver and he says, can you get us on the Golan Heights? And he just kind of shrugged his shoulder and said, sure. And we just left the pack. We just went rogue. And we went up on the Golan Heights and we stood up there and we looked at this and we thought, wow. Now when you understand all of what I've just said, imagine yourself in an Oklahoma wind downtown Tulsa, just for a moment. Like, let's say the wind is blowing five miles an hour out there at the oil refineries. All right? But you want a coffee. And you go into downtown. Have you ever noticed how much the wind blows stronger amongst all of the buildings and the wind tunnels that crazy? you ever noticed that? Well, this is exactly what happens in this in this area, this region, it, it creates this very fierce driven wind tunnel that these storms come up from the north, they come out of the mountains and they swoop down upon the Golan Heights and upon that lake and, and it can be very treacherous to be on that body of water when one of these windstorms comes, even to this day. And so it was that the disciples were... were on their way to the other side, that they found themselves on this body of water. And, and we must keep in mind that there were disciples in that boat that were very familiar with this. They were fishermen on that lake, spent their lives, their livelihoods, their businesses before Christ was fishing on that very body of water. And so for that group to then cry out that, that we are going to drown. For that group to, to have such a fear, these experienced sailors that are in that boat, to have this kind of fear upon them, it must, it must have been a very treacherous place, a very treacherous time as this wind would howl down off and would bear down on that body of water in that valley. And it was in that place, it was in that place that the disciples found themselves living life in between. See, I think the first thing I want to unpack for us today is the reality that the only reason they were on that lake that day was because Jesus Christ himself said, get in the boat, let's go to the other side. Now, we get the chance and, the, and we get the opportunity to read the back side of the story. The back side of this story is, is that on the other side of the lake, there was a demon-possessed man that Jesus was going to cast those devils out of. It's the same story that you might have heard where the demon said, Don't cast us into outer darkness, let us go into these pigs. And Jesus, being a Jew, had no problem them going into them pigs. All right? And the pigs decided they wouldn't live with what the man had been living with. As soon as those demons got in those pigs, they said, that's it for us. We're going to jump off. 
And the pigs ran off that cliff, ran off the Golan Heights and landed down there in, in the lake and drowned in the water. So there's this tremendous miracle that is waiting on the other side. There is this tremendous answer, not just for that man, but for the disciples to see the work of God, but not just for that man and the disciples, but for an entire community. Because as you read even further in the backstory, Jesus gets to the other side, he casts the devils out of this man, they go into the pigs, the pigs commit suicide. The man then, in his right mind, realizes that, well, he's been cutting himself, they've been trying to tie him up with chains, but the evil spirits, this supernatural strength from these evil spirits, he would break the chains, and he'd rip his clothes off, so he's running out there, uh, he's running around these, they, were, they had him up in the tombs, and he's running around those, that rocky, tomby place, he's running around there naked, and and, and Jesus was like, anybody got any clothes for him? And the, the, thankfully, someone brought clothes, hallelujah, and they clothed the guy. And then the, and then the, and then the community comes out. And the community goes, and they're, they're kind of like, they recognize the man as this demon-possessed man. They've been tied to the tombs. And, and, but then they recognize their pigs are gone. And so they ask Jesus to leave. They, 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 they say, Jesus, we can't handle all this. Well, you've got to get out of here, man. This is just too much for us to handle. And, and, and the demon-possessed, former demon-possessed guy looks at Jesus and says, Can I go with you? And Jesus says, No, you go home and be with your family. You've been, you've been out here living like this long enough. You need to go home and be with your family. So, so the guy leaves and goes to be with his family. But guess what? This ain't the only time Jesus came there. The next time Jesus came on those shores, the Bible says that the entire village met him at the shore and welcomed him in. So it was a community rebirth. That, that clearly this man having been delivered by Jesus on the day after the disciples lived in between, that the, that the deliverance of this man was so powerful that it converted an entire group of people. It converted an entire community of people. But where do we find the disciples? Well, we find the disciples right now in the boat after Jesus had said to them, let's... Let's go to the other side. This is really what I want you to understand. Point number one, really quick, really simple. The Bible declares to us that the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. In other words, every step that you take when you are seeking after the mind and the will and the purpose of God in your life, that every step that happens to you in your life, that God is is touching those steps and is ordering those steps and is directing you in those steps. And the only reason these disciples were in the boat is because Jesus put them there. But this is, the, this is one of the most confusing things about living life in between because life in between can be extremely uncomfortable. It's like, I hear the word right here, man. Great things are going to happen. Good things are going to happen. But, but then you get in between and... Oftentimes, in between, it is easy to forget that the only reason why you are there is because Jesus himself said, get in the boat and let's go over there. See, I mean, I know how that feels. I know what it's like to, to get in that place of life in between, in between promise and provision, that, that place where, where stuff suddenly kind of stops making sense. Like, what exactly is this? And how exactly did I deserve this? And I didn't ask to get in this boat to begin with. 
And it's in those moments that you have to remind yourself that Jesus was the one that said, let's go over there. From the onset of this story, we see that God is at work. And one thing for sure, and this is very important, if Jesus said, let's go over to the other side, you are absolutely guaranteed to make it. I mean, there is absolutely nothing that can stop it. There's no storm. There's no demon-possessed dude on the other side. There's nothing can stop the work of God that is taking place in your life when Jesus gives the promise. When Jesus gives the promise. It's in those, it's in those moments that we get to point number two. Life in between promise and provision can be stormy. I mean, when we are on our way to provision, it can get rough. Matter of fact, there are promises in my life that I'm still waiting on. Some of them after decades, right? And I can tie about 85% of all of my storms in life to them. I'm like, seriously? I mean, when the storm is raging, fear can set in. Matter of fact, many times while I've been waiting on the promise of God to come to pass in my life, powerful storms have erupted around me. And these storms can bring doubt, and they can bring fear. I mean, it's like one minute you're on your way in faith going, Woohoo! What a great ride! And the next minute you're fighting for your life! It's in those moments that fear could set in, and it can become very confusing. It can become extremely confusing. I, I can remember uh, years ago, we, when we took the church, we, my wife's dad had been pastoring the church for over 29 years, and those types of pastoral changes are difficult within themselves. The dynamic of that is difficult on the one who, who succeeds that kind of tenure in a church. But then there were, some, there were some other things involved there that just made it very stormy. And I remember, man, we were just kind of trudging through this storm of trying to establish ourselves as the, as the new lead pastor of the church. And, and it just seemed that, that everything was, was working against us and it was just so stormy. And it's in those moments that you begin to ask some very serious questions. And I'll never forget, I, I got into this, mindset. It wasn't right, but I got into this mindset at one point in that, and I started thinking like this, maybe God didn't put me here at all. You know, maybe it was people that put me here. Maybe, maybe I trusted so much in, in, a, in, in the vote of people that, that, that you know, and I'm just being good questions. You know what I'm talking about, because there was a vote, and they voted me in as a pastor, and, and, I, and I, I was questioning. I mean, it was keeping me up at night wondering, God, how in the world can this storm be your will for my life? How in this world? I mean, did I hear from you? How? How did this happen? And, and I can remember struggling with that. I didn't even tell Raylene I was struggling with that thought. I mean, I didn't tell anybody. I was just fight, trying to fight through this storm on my own. Trying to figure out how did this even happen? How was a man that was, he was crazy, but, but, but he could hear from the Lord, you know? 
ever send something like that, you know, he's, and, and, and I'll never forget, he, he just sort of showed up to our church. I'll never forget the first thing he ever said to me when he showed up to our church. He said, I'm not going to be here for long. I'm like, well, okay. He said, you got about three months. I went, well, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse at this moment. I mean, you know, maybe we should make it three weeks. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and he said, but, but while I'm here, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna take care of some things. This guy had this pastoral tenure for 40 years, and, but he was just like, he was just like, nuts and um but he could say some stuff and he could you know i mean and in the middle of all that he come bursting into my office one sunday after church of sunday night back we had sunday night church but then he come bursting my office and he slammed the door behind him and he come i was sitting at this i was despondent i was in despair i was in a storm and he came into my office and he slammed his fist down on my on my desk like this, and he leaned across my desk and looked at me. And he went, Do you believe all life comes from God? I'm like, what kind of question? How do you even answer? I don't, what? And, and I'm, I'm sitting there pondering, and he said it again, Do you believe that all life comes from God? Well, then, I, you know, now I'm kind of settling into this eruption taking place, and I'm, and I'm like, well, yeah, I believe all life. You know, God breathed life into man. God spoke life into every animal, every tree. I mean, it was all God's idea. Life is God's idea. So, yeah. And so I looked at him. I said, I said yeah, I believe all life comes from God. And then he went like this. He went, then how do, you, how do you know it's God's will for you to be alive? I'm like, don't fail the test. And I'll never forget it just came to the answer. I said this, because I'm alive. Yeah, if all life comes from God, then it's will of God for me to be alive because I'm alive, right? Does that make sense to anybody else besides me? It made a whole lot of sense to me, okay? All right. And before, before, I mean, before I could even take a breath after saying that, okay, that it's the will of God for me to be alive because I'm alive. All I said was because I'm alive, all right? He blurts this out. How do you know it's the will of God for you to pastor this church? And I stood up like this, and he started walking out of my offices abruptly as he came in with no answer from me. And I wasn't about to let him off the hook like that. And I jumped up to my feet, and I said, Because I'm the pastor of this church! And I realized at that moment, if God wanted me out, I'd be out, right? And if God wouldn't want me here, I wouldn't be here, right? Listen, I've lived with that. I've lived on that promise. I have lived on that promise for 20 years. And there's been more storms since then. And there's been more people doubting since then. And I've been in more fear since then. But I rest on that promise that I'm here because God said, Get in the boat, dude. We're going to the other side. There's a place to go. There's a destination. And there's been a lot of great blessings along the way too. But the reality of it is, is that you got to settle the issue that, that Jesus put me in the boat, even though point number two is real, that when we get in the boat, it can become stormy and when you live life in between. Am I preaching too hard for y'all today? I feel like I'm working up a sweat or something. That must be the vest.
What we, what we can't forget is that Jesus was in the boat. That Jesus was asleep in that boat. And listen to me. Listen to me. If Jesus is in the boat, or if Jesus put you in the boat, there is not a chance in the world that boat is going to sink. I mean, ask Paul, right? I mean, Paul got in a shipwreck, and, 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 and he took it one step further. He says, even if the boat sinks, we won't drown. Even if the boat does sink, we won't drown. And I will tell you this. Which leads us to point number three. You need to take notice of the miracles along the way. That how do you sustain faith during storms is that you take note of the fact that the miracle worker is in your boat. I don't believe for one minute when they woke Jesus up that they actually expected him to calm the storm. You won't know because they looked at each other with fear and amazement. They got more afraid of his miracle working power than they did the storm itself. They got in fear and amazement. They looked at each other and went, what kind of man is this? I mean, the reality of it is when they woke Jesus up, I think they just needed two more hands to either bell water or row a boat. Because they didn't expect him to do what he did. I think a lot of times we get in the middle of storms between promise and provision and we turn Jesus into a water bailer. We turn, we turn the miracle worker into an oar holder. Like, I mean, Jesus can stand on the bow of that boat and calm the storm and we're just worried about getting the water out of the boat. Jesus don't care about the water. He can walk on the water. He proved that in another storm. I mean, it took two of these for those disciples to even get a glimpse. Even get a glimpse. That when you get in between, it can be, it can be, it can be stormy. But you need to remember the miracles along the way. This is the thing, is Jesus had already performed crazy miracles in front of them. I mean, lepers had been healed, blind people had, been, had, had received. I mean, he had already done all of these marvelous things among them. And they forgot him. They forgot that he was in the boat. And it's very easy when you're in a storm to forget. And Every promise, every promise, every promise, every promise. He made a promise. He made a promise. What do we do in between? This is an important key to surviving life in between is to take note of the miracles and blessings that happen along the way. God sent me a crazy man, and he, and he sent me other people as well. He sent me other people as well along the way to say, hey, mark this one down and don't forget it. When you get into your next storm, remember how well I got you out of this last one. And remember what I did before you ever got in that boat. And remember who it is that told you to get in that boat. Which leads us to point number four in the final thought. Life in between takes an exercise of faith. Faith is the key, really, to surviving life in between. Jesus asked the disciples, but I really think primarily for us, where is your faith? 
Paul said it like this in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, that's one of the most disappointing things in, in ministry is, is to watch people who are living life in between give up. Just give up on the dream. Just give up on, on the promise. It's so discouraging sometimes that you realize, man, if you just, if you just hang in there for, for one more month, you know, if, if, you, if, if, you would just, if you would just stay at it for just one more week, really the, the true key of faith in all of our life isn't, isn't having faith when, when, you, when you're standing in provision. I mean, you're, it doesn't take any faith when you're standing in provision, but it sure takes a lot of faith when you're in between promise and provision. Here's the thing that struck me about all of this this week. It's something that I, I realized very, very intensely. The message I am preaching today is one of the most consistent theological themes in the Bible. I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, you can read Hebrews 11 in the, in the Heroes of Faith and how all of that plays out. Look at every one of them. <laughs> every last one of them were living in between promise and provision. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews even went as far to say that they died not having fully seen it and are dependent on us they were looking for, they were looking for what the church got. But they died in faith, being fully convinced that God was able to do that which he had said that he would do. And they lived their life. You think about Noah. You know, scholars argue over the time frame of how long it took to build the ark. So the best guesstimate, if you look at all of the scholarly research, the best guesstimate is it took him at least 55 years to a maximum of 120 years. That's a long time. That's a long time that you, you've heard this promise from God and now you're trudging through the storm of building this ark. Yet he kept the faith, didn't become weary in doing good because he understood that you just got to sustain faith through the in-betweens. Got to sustain faith through the in-betweens. Abraham, God, God bless his heart, he, he left his family at a promise from God that God said to him, a man who had a barren wife, who had a wife that could not bear children. And God said to him that you're... That your, your offspring, your offspring is going to be as the stars are in the sky and as the sand is on the seashore. Your offspring, Abraham. And here's a man who's got a wife that can't have children. But yet he believed and took off walking. He left his family. He left his friends. He left his heritage. He left everything. To walk. To be a sojourner. To live in tents. No, he didn't get to live in a house. 
He didn't, get to, he didn't get to see the promised land the way the children of Israel would see the promised land. But God said, everywhere you put the sole of your foot, buddy, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. That's yours. That's yours too. That's yours too. And that. And that. And your, your, your children, your, your offspring are going to reap the tremendous benefit of this while you live in tents and while you live in that, that awkward, terrible place of in-between. And he had storms in, in that. He, one king got mad at him because he lied about Sarah being his wife. And, and had, to, had to bail Lot out, his nephew. Had to bail him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. That whole debacle. And Lot's wife turned, his, his niece-in-law turned and looked back at the city and turned into a pillar of salt. And that had to have been so disheartening. Here I am just trying to do the will of God. And I got family members turning into salt. Here I am just trying to do the will of God. And he walked and he walked and he left his family. I was kind of reminiscent. I was kind of reminded of this yesterday. We had a family reunion. All of my siblings, first time we've gotten together in a year and a half since my dad's funeral. And all of my siblings were in. And we converged on, on my cousin's house. And my aunt, Nay, and... Uncle Paul were there. You have heard stories of Bonweir, Texas. This is the pastor of that church in Bonweir, Texas, and Aunt Nay and Uncle Paul. And Aunt Nay has a little bit of dementia now. She's in her 90s. She has a little bit of dementia. And you can remind her of things, and then she'll, she'll go, ah, yeah. But then she'll trail off, and she was talking to her. And she said, Rob, I told you, know, now, which one are you? And I said, I'm Rob. Oh, Rob, you were such a little bitty baby. She remembered things that I was born premature and remembered all of that. Remember all the times that we had together. And then she would lapse back into that, that other. And she looked at me, and she, she's been here. She, they've been to our church. They've stayed in our home. But, but they, um, she's like, where are you at now, honey? I said, well, now listen, this is deep east Texas people, so get ready. Here it comes. She's got me by the hand. She said, where are you living now, honey? I said, hey, Nay, we've been, up in, we've been up in Tulsa, Oklahoma now for over 20 years. She looked at me and she said, ooh, honey, you on the wrong side of the Red River. <laughs> Once a Texan, always a Texan, even with dementia, let me tell you right now. My goodness, honey, you on the wrong side. I, but you know, you're a sojourner. I'm a sojourner in a foreign land, according to my family. Oh, my goodness. Abraham. Abraham's walking, living in between. Father of faithful. Father of faith. Story of Joseph. Story of Joseph stood out to me. Here's a guy that gets this, gets this dream that he's so excited about, man. God spoke to me and told me, I'm going to be a great leader and I'm going to save all of you and everything's going to be good in our family because God's going to make a way for me to save everybody. He was so excited about it. He told his brothers and what they do? Sell him into slavery. And I thought y'all would be excited about this. I'm going to save the family. Now, they sold him into slavery and he lived the next decades. Decades of his life. In and out of prison for doing the right thing. Every time he got every time he got thrown in a pit, he was doing the right thing. Go figure that storm out. 
that you're just doing the right thing and for doing the right thing. But even in the midst of that, he interprets someone's dream. He saw the miracles in the midst of the storm. I see the miracles in the middle of the storm. Got a storm going on. There's a promise. There's a provision on its way. It's on its way. Guy goes tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I know a guy in the jail that can interpret your dreams. You pull him out of that dungeon, he interprets your dreams. And guess what happened? The day came where Joseph stood as a ruler in front of his family. And he saved them all from a famine. It really did happen. But it took decades with him living in between. What about Moses? Moses, you're going to let my people go. Great guy. You're going to spend the next 40 years wandering around in a wilderness. And you're going to die looking over the hill saying, that's where the people are going. I led you here. That's where you're going. His successor, Joshua coming behind him. But before that, Joshua, 40 years ago, Joshua was sent into the wilderness, into the promised land. Joshua came back. Only two spies came back with a good report. Joshua was one of them. Joshua said, no, let's go up at once and take it. We're well able. The God we serve can do this. And the people said, no way. And you know what happened? Joshua has turned back into the wilderness for another 40 years. For another 40 years, he lived in between. Then when he took the promised land, God said, you're going to have to subdue it. There was one fight after another fight after another fight after another fight. The people got discouraged at one point. Joshua finally stood up and said, let me tell you about this. You can serve you can serve whatever you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Why? Because we might be living in between, but there's a provision coming in our life that's going to work out. And the people all in one voice said, we agree with him. Jesus Christ was the promise. But he also heard the promise from that baptism day where the voice of the Lord boomed down and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus walked out of that and went straight into a wilderness temptation. Come on now. He just heard the word. And he ain't even out of it a day. And he's in a wilderness temptation, fasting 40 days, the devil working him over. Jesus came out of that, though, with the power. He was noticing that in the midst of the storm, there's power. And he walked out of that place and said, the power of God certainly working on his behalf. But then Jesus said it like this, the birds of the sky have nests and the foxes have holes. And I don't even have, uh, I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. And you work that story all the way to a cross where Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you figure out that Jesus understood exactly what it meant to live life in between. Because the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Got to go through the storm. But there's a provision coming. There's something coming. I I hope I, I know I preached overtime. See, that clock's screaming at me. I'm overtime. But I come today with a word for somebody. The key is to don't quit when you get in between. Would you stand with me? I have delivered my heart today. And I hope that somehow what I have said would bless you in a way that you would see tomorrow better than you were seeing it yesterday. That you would see next month better than you were, that you would see next year better than you saw it this year. 
that somehow or another there'd be a faith spark in every one of our hearts and we'd say, you know what? Jesus put me in the boat. Jesus gave me the promise and I know the provision's coming. I know it's coming. Would you, would you let me pray for you? Bow your heads for a second. Father, we are indeed thankful today for your word and for your power working in our life. And I'm asking you by your power and by your spirit to touch every heart and every life and every person in this room that this word that I have spoken today over them would be a blessed word in their life and that, that even if there's somebody under the sound of my voice right now that needs to make a confession of their faith, that they would just simply right now say, Jesus, be my Lord. Give me a fresh start. That right now they would say, Jesus, I know that you were raised from the dead for me. Save me even now. Father, we're going to thank you for that provision even if we've been waiting on it we're thanking you now for that provision we know that's coming that we might be living life in between right now but you have a that you have a provision for us that's going to be amazing there's a fulfillment that's going to be amazing there's an answer that's going to be amazing and I just declare that word in the mighty name of Jesus Christ Amen I love you Lord Praise God. There, we end our services, we close our services rather with the time of giving and one more song of worship. So don't run out the door.